Genesis chapter 2. While we're waiting, we could line up a couple folks to read. through 10, and then, um, and then uh, Debbie, you can read 11 through 14, 11 through 14. So, all right. How far did you have to run? I'm so sorry. I, I don't know where that went off to. All right. Hopefully I can fit my Bible and my iPad on this. We'll see. I think it can set just like that. Okay, Genesis 2, and we have our readers selected. Joanna's going to read 1 through 3, Alice will read 4 through 10, and then Debbie will read 11 through 14. So, Joanna, if you would read first. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth where they were created at the time when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground, but a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became the four heads. Delium. Delium that surrounds the whole of Ethiopia. And the name of the third is Titikel. Titikel. And it's one of the it's one that goes towards the east of Asherah and the fourth heaven. Euphrates. All right, you got all the fun names there, Debbie, didn't you? All right. That's right. Okay, we'll um, give this back to Joanna for whenever we have need of that for questions. All right, let's have a word of prayer, and we'll get right into the text. Dear Lord, I thank you for the chance to open your word. It is a privilege, and I pray that your word would be understood today. And may we not just see it as a textbook, but help us to uh, understand what this means for our day today. And I know the creation account and some of these things are very distant from us. 
but help us to see you in your greatness. Help us to see how we ought to live. And may we understand your word and believe it today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, we are going to pick up in verse 1. And as we do, we're going to pick up looking at some people's favorite day of creation. And what day would that be? Day number... Nope. Day number 7. All right, day number 7. First three verses are about day number 7. You know, it's, uh, we ended chapter 1 where it talked about the sixth day. So a lot of people actually lump verse 1, and one, 2, and 3 of chapter 2 back in with chapter 1 in their treatment of the section. Because if you think of creation, you've got seven days, and chapter 1 stops with day 6, right? So day 7 is where we pick up, and we'll put that back there. But I, do wanna, I did want to just remind us of something, and some people forget this or are never taught this. But the verse numbers and the chapter numbers in the Bible are not inspired. And what we mean by that is if someone makes a big deal out of, well, you know, this is the seventh book and it's the seventh chapter and it's the seventh verse and, you know, that sort of thing. You need to just kind of let it go in this ear and go right out the other. Because when God first gave his word, he didn't put numbers, you know, page numbers and verse numbers and chapter numbers with it. So we just use that to do what? What do we use the numbers for? To navigate around, exactly. Because can you imagine, um, so for instance, let me, let me give a Bible story of this. Jesus read in the temple, or I'm sorry, in the synagogue, he read from Isaiah 61. And when it references the story, I think it's Luke says, he found the place in the scroll where it reads. And then he started reading. And it gives the reading. But he doesn't say he found Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, right? They didn't have numbering in the books at that time. And we just simply use it to find our way around. So my point is we don't make a big deal out of, oh, this goes with that chapter or, you know, this goes with the past verse or those types of things because those are just numbers we use to find our way around. Nothing more than that. Okay, so picking up in verse 1, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. So the heavens are finished, the earth is finished, and then it says all the host of them. Who knows what the host of them is? Or who knows what the word host means? Joanna knows. Big group. All right. That's true. Sometimes the word host means army, but it does just have the idea of a whole bunch of something. A host. There was a host of angels when Jesus was born, right? A host of people. You can have an army as a host. But in this passage, it says the heavens were finished, the earth was finished, and all the host of them. What do you think the host is? The service? Okay. Uh, Jeremiah. Yes, those inhabitants. Um, Joanna, what were you going to say? The animals? Okay. Yeah, we don't precisely know what's included and not included, but I think he says heavens earth, and all the host of them, so all the host of heaven, all the host of earth. What would be the host of heaven? The stars. Now, she's, she suggested angels, which is a very interesting suggestion, because the one part that's left out of the whole creation account is angels, and some people say angels existed before Genesis 1-1, 
Others say no, they were created after God created this other things. Some people say the angels were created here, and they use this to kind of teach that, the host of heaven. But remember, I think the word heaven is meaning God created the heaven and the earth, right, from verse 1. So, um, you know, that's, I, I would take it more as the stars and the planets and the sun, the moon, that sort of thing. So the host of heaven, now what's the host of earth? We had a suggestion of animals, plants. Can it mean a host of people? No, because there was only two of them. Not to say they weren't included in the overall host, perhaps, if we were counting animals and plants and everything else. But we start out with two human beings. Um, I think that is, it's an interesting note to point that out because God didn't just create two fish. God didn't create just two trees, right? But when it comes to humans, he only created two, Adam and Eve. And he started out that way. So it's interesting to point that out. So verse uh, 2 then goes on. And on the seventh day, God ended his work that he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had made. A little bit uh, repeated, a little bit of repetition between the first phrase and the second phrase. But it says that the work was completed. Who remembers what Jesus said on the cross right before he died? It is finished. And I wonder if God didn't say the same thing. It is finished. Very different application to those words from one story to the next, right? It is finished. But the world was created, the heaven was created, it was done, and we see a completion. Now, it says here that he ended his work that he had made. So that meant he stopped working on it, and he worked on it no longer. Um, he ended the work that he had made. So this rest that's going on here means that he is not working. On the seventh day, he does not work. He ceases from activity. Um, stops working. Now, a question for us to consider. Wow, i got to be careful not to step on that base. Um, was God tired? Was he wore out and be like, oh, can't do any more. Just got to take a break. No, he was not tired. What was he doing? Well, he was stepping back to enjoy what had been done, to enjoy the fruits of his labor. Um, he was ceasing to act. Which, can I just remind us that this idea of God ceasing to act is just as intentional and purposeful as when he created. Right? When God says, let there be light, that was a very purposeful intention. He wanted there to be light. Now on day seven, when God says, I'm not doing anything, that was not him just being bored. He was intentionally choosing not to do anything. Just as intentionally as he chose to create, he intentionally chose not to create. Now, is there an application for that in our life? You say, uh, it means I need to rest. Well, that's not the application I'm looking for. I'm talking about God sometimes does things, and then God sometimes does not do things. Oh. So when God chooses not to do something, he's making a good choice, isn't he? And when God chose not to work on day seven, that was a good choice. That was the right thing to do. And so when God does things, 
and when he does not do things, is both within his plan. And um, I think there's a, a strong application we can make out of that. Um, what's another thing that we find in verse 2 is we find it says he ended his work. W-O-R-K. And it says his work, right? His meaning God's work. Work ceased. God was the one who was working and then he stopped working. And what we find is that work existed before the fall and work did not start with Adam. Work started with who? God. So we could put it this way. God is a God of work. Now we can also say it like this. God is a God of rest. Both of those are true statements. God's a God of work. God's a God of rest. And verse 2 teaches us both of these things. He had worked, and now he rested. So, if God is a God of work, is work a bad thing? Work is not a bad thing because it comes from God. So work is a good thing. Now, is it also true that rest is a good thing? Yes. And we have a general approximate balance between the two given in that God worked for six days and he rested for one day, right? So I think the lesson there is we should work more than we should rest. But rest is important and work is important. And God is a God of both of those things. Um, And we also see one other truth here. If Well, let me say, I guess I've kind of pointed it out, but let me just be more clear. If we denigrate work, we're denigrating God because God is the author of that work. So we should not have a negative attitude towards work. Um, we shouldn't have a negative attitude towards rest if it's in their proper place and proportion. Um, usually we tend to get one or the other out of uh, make too much work or too much rest, right? And we need to be balanced as the Lord is. The last thing I want to ask us or point out about this is that day seven was what day for Adam and Eve? Day seven for Adam and Eve was day one, right? Now they were created on day six, but they didn't, especially Eve, which we'll get to later, wasn't there all day long, okay? So the first full day that they had was day seven. So Adam and Eve have day number one with God, and what's God doing? Resting. He's not creating anything else. He's not working in his creation. And so, you know, I wonder if they talked about the prior days, you know, if they fellowshiped, if they communed. Um, So a thought there. Let's do verse 3, and then we'll take questions, all right? Verse 3, And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he had rested from all his work that God created and made. Now, there's a lot that we could um, point out from, from this verse. First of all, it says God blessed the seventh day. Is there some other things that God has blessed already? Yes, Tim. His creation? Well, yes. More specifically, what parts of creation did God bless? Creation. 
You can look. It's in chapter 1. The word blessed is there. Yes. He, and who is the them? Adam and Eve. So he blessed humans. We'll put that down. Did God bless anything other than humans? In chapter 1. He blessed the animals. Okay? And so, so far, God has blessed animals in 122, humans in 128, and now we get to this verse, chapter 2, verse 3. God blessed day 7. Okay, so there's a blessing that he gives on day 7. As we discuss and think about the Sabbath day, it says here, I've already slipped and started using the term. The word Sabbath isn't found here, is it? Um, And I meant to look it up, but um, the first instance of the word Sabbath, I think, is not until God confirms it with Israel. First mention, Sabbath. Let's, let's make sure I have that right. Um, first mention of the Sabbath is in Exodus 16. That's what I thought. So the term day seven or the seventh day is used quite a bit here. But the actual word Sabbath does not appear till Exodus 16. And there's a lot of talk and discussion and opinions about the Sabbath. What I want to see is a couple things here. First broadly and then more specifically. Um, Let me point out something about these days. Day one, day two, day three, day four. We get to day seven, right? And which piece of God's creation knows that it's day seven? Or which pieces of God's creation know that it's day day number seven? Who? The light? Yes, Tim? Humans. All right, so the light was mentioned. Do animals know that it's day seven? Do they know that it's Friday? Does your dog know it's Friday right now? It's not Friday, it's Sunday. But you could tell him it's Friday, you could tell him it's Sunday, and he wouldn't know the difference, right? Because animals just live day to day to day. They don't count the days. They don't have names for the days. So humans know it's day seven. They can count, and God has pointed that out, and they've discussed all that. What I'm bringing this up to is that humans have the ability to know the days, to have a week, to have a Sabbath day, to have a non-Sabbath day, to have work and to have rest. These are things that are human. They're not animal. They're not animal-based. They're human-based. Later in Mark, Jesus will say, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. And we see here that when God made this day, day number seven, it was in reference, I believe, to people um, and for people. Now, the other thing we see is it says he sanctified it. That is, he set it apart. That's the idea of sanctify. Um, Now, later, sin has not entered the world yet. So sanctify here does not mean to make holy, because that would be to separate from sin. Here it simply means to set aside or to make special, right? So God blessed the seventh day, which means to speak good words upon. He spoke good words upon the Sabbath, the seventh day. He sanctified the Sabbath day. Why? Because in it he had rested from all his work that God created and made. The last thing I want to point out is that there's two words here, created and made. 
okay? These are different words. Um, my understanding of these words is that this creation is to bring out of nothingness, to bring into existence. I believe it's the Hebrew word bara. And then make is to form with what was made. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. So he made things and then he formed things, okay? So both of those activities stopped on day seven because there were times where God was bringing new things into existence. There was times where he was forming things out of what he had already made, and it all stopped on day number seven. All right, questions or comments on day verse one through three? Alice. Uh-huh. Yep. I always thought that Adam named the animals before Eve was even thought of that God said make us human and give us life. Mm-hmm. But they were created on the same day. Adam and Eve? Mm-hmm. Yes. And he did an awful lot of work right there. That's correct. That's correct. So we'll get into that timeline more as we go through those verses. That's upcoming, yeah. Okay, and another question for me. I don't know whether I have this one right, but it's um, when it said God created and the way he rested from his work, which he did, it means then the way he ended his work means creation. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're saying he stopped creating? And does he create? Yeah, did he stop? So we have two. Let me just broaden the question, and we'll take them both one at a time. So the one question is, did God stop creating totally? Did, and what you mean is after the seventh day. You're not, this is after history. Did God stop creating And then the next question that I want to kind of parallel that with is, did God stop working? Because some people teach that day seven is still ongoing and God is still not working. So, um, did God stop creating? Um, I I think I would say if I had to, be pressed to give an answer is I would say yes God stopped creating um, in that he is not creating new um, new content if you will new items new things but if we wouldn't say God stopped making right because God made his word and God has so he does things with the things he's already created but he's not creating new things if I could break it down like that Did God stop working? I think this one is a little more clear because Jesus was quite clear when he came. He said, hitherto does my father work and I work and I must finish the works of him that sent me while it is yet day. The night comes when no man can work. And the idea that God has not worked since day seven until now, I think is just baloney. (laughs) Um, He's working and the Bible indicates that he is working. So um, now that's a question you didn't ask. So you don't feel bad about me calling that baloney. Um, yeah. 
Um, it's in John, and I think it's in John 5. Um, we actually just went through that not too long ago. Is that where he said, I am the light of the world? That would be John 8 then. John 5, John 8. It's very close. 5.17. Okay. That's where he says that he works the same works as his father, and that really upset them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, John 5.17. Okay. Anyone else? Question or comment? All right. We have silence. Let's pick up back in verse 4 then. Genesis 2, 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, at the time when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Real quick point on this, that phrase, these are the generations of, that phrase is going to appear over and over again in the book of Genesis. If you remembered from our introduction, that's like an outline point for the book of Genesis. These are the generations of. And usually there's a bunch of names that follow after that. But in this spot, it is speaking of the creation. These are the generations of. And this time it says of the heaven and the earth. These are the generations of. So that's kind of like a title or uh, like a marker, an outline within the book of Genesis. Then it says when they were created at the time when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. He's kind of giving a summary, okay, kind of going back. And what we're going to see here is that he starts giving more detail about some of the days that we've already looked at, all right? Um, verse 5 then says, oh, one other thing we see here is this first instance of the Lord God at the time when the Lord God. That's the first time in the Bible we have that phrase, Lord God. Lord is Elohim, and it's a plural noun, and it takes a singular subject. So many see a Trinitarian implication with that construction. Um, and then the word God is, I don't have the word right in front of me, but that's a different word that's used there in the Hebrew. Okay, verse 5, And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. So I think what's happening here is the, if you could think of this as a camera lens or a, a rewind button, we're rewinding back to day three. And this is before God has planted, before God has put these plants into the earth. And um, it does say that the Lord had caused it not to rain and there was not a man to till the ground. I think the implication of this is that the earth was not suitable for plants. Didn't have a caretaker, didn't have a watering system. And so this is before all that. But it does say that there was a mist in verse 6 that went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. So there's no rain going on, but there is this mist. And this mist could also be understood as a fog or a, uh, what's the other one? Mist or a fog or a dew, yes. Um, so there was no rain, but there was this misting or this fogging or this dew that was watering the whole face of the ground. And this is how the earth was, was watered. And what's the first instance of rain in the Bible? The flood of Noah. So this situation went on for years and years and years where the earth did not have rain. So I wonder if that means that in the millennium or in the new heaven and new earth that there won't be any more rain. I don't know. How many of you like rain? 
How many of you say, I just wish it would rain? You don't want it to rain right now, but you like rain. Okay. Do you like to watch it or be out in it? Both. You like the thunder and the rain or just the rain? Thunder and the rain. Okay. The rest of us, we're boring people. We like the sun. I think we get more than what you get. Okay. But if you move to Seattle, you can get lots of rain. Okay. Or London. That's right. London is a rain place as well. So the mist goes up and it waters the whole face of the ground. And verse 7 is where we have this momentous verse. And God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. All right, we're going to park a little bit here. What day of the week is this? This is day six. All right, so we're back. So we looked at day three a little bit before there was all these things. And then he goes back to day six and he says, God formed man from the dust of the ground. Now, the word for man here is in, in the Hebrew transliteration is A-D-A-M-A-H. I'm sorry. Forgive me. That is the Hebrew word for the word ground. He formed man from the dust of the ground. The word ground is A-D-A-M-A-H. So when Adam got his name, God named him after the ground. You know how we name babies after things? For grandma and sunbeam and all these different things. God named Adam after the ground. How do you like that? Have you ever met someone named Adam? You should tell them what their name means. But that's what God made Adam from, and then he named him after that. But all of the other creations so far had been made by the word of God, where he had spoken, and it was so. But when it came to man, God formed him. So in a sense, we would not say that God created man as much as we would say God made man, because he made us out of the ground. Now, we give evolutionists a hard time that we're not animals and so well we should. We're not animals. We didn't come from animals. True, true, true. But we did come from the ground. God formed man from the ground, and yet after he had formed him, he was not yet living, because it says, then God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. If I could think of this in the most, in the easiest way to compare it to something that we might understand, would be going to the beach and getting your beach toys out and forming a castle or something, right? And then in the movies or something, someone would touch it and boom, it would become real, right? Here's the real castle. But what God did was he formed us of the earth, but, then he, but we were still unliving, we were not alive, we were just formed, and then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Um, if you put these two things together, this is what we're made of. This is who we are, and this is quite the mixture. We are ground plus God's breath. Now, how's that for a combo? Someone called this the strange mixture of dignity and lowliness. Humility should remind us we aren't anything but dirt. 
But also we should be reminded that we have the breath of God within us. And that's what gives us life. And so, you know, there's, that's a really good balancing thing for us, isn't it? You know, it keeps us humble, but it keeps us respected and valued, you know? And so we don't just murder humans because they have the breath of God in them. But we also don't exalt ourselves as the be-all, end-all because we are but the ground and dust. Um, and the one, one thing that I want to point out is, and, and we, that phrase, man became a living soul, that phrase, we often think of that in our minds as something very divine and very special. And it is, but I want us to see how it's used. That phrase, living soul, is the same Hebrew phrasing as Genesis 1.24. Go back to Genesis 1.24. And in Genesis 1.24, it says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature. Living creature. Same exact Hebrew phrasing. Okay, living soul, living creature. And when we think of us as creations of God, and I think we find other scriptures that, that give the, that deep special value to the human condition. But we, sometimes people use these phrasing, and it's maybe a little bit of picking over words, but people say things like animals don't have a soul, right? Well, that's true. Animals don't have a soul like we think of the soul. But in this phrase, it's simply the same, it's the same statement. And the idea is that man became a living thing. That's the idea. And a living being. And just as an animal is a living being, so humans are living beings. And um, in that sense, we both have life. Now, ours is a different level of life, yes. But this is being more simple and straightforward. Putting this together with the body being but the dirt and the ground, but then the living soul or the spirit, the inner, the breath that made us life, this is God's breath in us. That idea, we see these two things referenced in Ecclesiastes 12.7. And I want to read this um, so that you hear it straight from, from the Bible. But it, it specifically mentions these two different things. Ecclesiastes 12.7 is talking about the moment of death. Then the dust shall return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return to God who gave it. Isn't that great? At death, those two things separate, and the body goes to dust, which is where it came from, but the Spirit goes to the God who gave it. And you can see how there's the human physical aspect, but there's the spiritual aspect, and the the non-physical aspect of who we are. So we are more than a body. If I could take a moment to press on this, we as humans are not just animals. We are not just creatures that have life, but we are more than that. We are a body that has a soul within it or a spirit within us that is from God, that is the breath that God breathed into us. So we treat others remembering they have an inner soul. We ourselves have an inner soul. And we don't just treat ourselves as a body only. There's a whole philosophy of life in our world today that just says when you're dead, you're dead like a dog, and that's all there is to you. You're just a body. 
No, we are more than just a body. And this scripture shows us that we have life because God breathed into us. And I believe, as you kind of asked earlier about, does God recreate? I believe rather that God gave ability to create to humans, to create other humans. That's why God said, be fruitful. He told man, be fruitful and replenish the earth, right? And um, in the New Testament, a man and a wife are called heirs together of the grace of life. And I think that's a reference to childbearing. And so life is something that is passed on through the husband and wife. And so, yes, God created it as a thing, but now it is given over to man to perpetuate and to pass down and along. Um, now, there's a lot of discussion and there's a lot of deep arguments theologically about the soul of a baby. Is it implanted by God? Is it passed through the parents? And the reason it's such a sticky issue is because if that soul is sinful from conception, does God put a sinful soul into a baby? Well, you know, you can see how it gets kind of thorny. I lean more towards the idea that, that the whole thing is just God created it and humans pass it along and perpetuate it. I don't, uh, no, it doesn't mean we're not created by God. We are created by God, but maybe not in the, how do I say this? Maybe not in the manner that we imagine it. Um, it's still by God's hand and his doing, but it's through the agency of humans, if I could put it that way. Um, one last thing, and then we'll take questions on this verse. We see how far we go. God created man out of the ground. And as was mentioned, also these animals were created on day six. And if I could put it this way, I'll know a little more next week. But right now, this is how I think it happened. Um, God created the animals. Then God created Adam. Then God brought the animals to Adam to be named. So we have the naming of the animals. Then we have the loneliness of Adam. Wasn't God nice? He made the loneliness less than a day long. The loneliness of Adam where he looked around and said, well, there's no one, no partner for me. And then God gave him Eve. And Eve was the last and final creation of his work before the seventh day when he rested. So that's how I understand this happening. The animals were actually created first, then Adam was made, but then God brought the animals to him for naming, and then he realized he didn't have someone for himself, and then Eve was created. So, you know, we could put right in here that Adam fell asleep. That's another step in the process. So, so having said all this, when God creates Adam, he, he forms him out of the dust of the ground. Now, you know, is it wet dust? Is it mud? Is it dry dust? And, you know, all this and that. But I just want you to think about all the parts of our body. You know, we have kidneys, we have livers, we have lungs, we have skin, we have all these things. And God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground. And so I don't know if he just formed the outside and then he spoke those organs into existence. I don't know if he formed all the pieces one by one and put them together like a jigsaw puzzle or like Legos or something. I don't know exactly how he did it, but I just want to remind us that God did this in much less than a day, and doctors today will spend hours 
just very carefully going in with tools to work on this one little part, right? And what does that show? That shows the, the limitations that humans have and the great power that God has. He can create it. He could speak it into existence. He can form it with just a move of his hands. And humans have to very gently and carefully and with hours of preparation and all sorts of help go in and touch and prod and just very carefully work on the human body. So, you know, all the miles of, um, you know, the uh, blood vessels and the nerves and, you know, all the skin and all that goes on to make up a human body, God did in just less than a day. All right, questions or comments on verse 7? Joanna has the mic. All right, you'll be first, Jeremiah. So, with, do, do you know of people that use this as an argument for a longer than 24-hour per day duration, as far as... Day six, you mean? Yeah, like everything that happened. You know, yeah. Like naming of animals and all that. Have you yeah, that the, as an argument? Yes, so the naming of the animals is something that sometimes the critics will bring up. Um, we haven't hit that part yet, so you're actually asking questions about things that we did not cover today, which is verboten, you know, it's forbidden. Um, no, we'll, we'll get to that, but um, I think we have to remember several things, and that is there was not as many varieties as we have now, because God set up animals to crossbreed and to have variation. So, you know, when we think of horses, there wouldn't have been like 300 kinds of horses, um, there would have been a set of horses, and then over time, God allowed those variations. So when you keep that in mind, and you also remember, God is very efficient, okay? He's not limited, so he can line them up, he can run them through. Adam can just sit there. I don't know if he was on a hammock or what he was doing, and he's just, you know, throwing out names. But the point is, you know, it was very efficient, obviously, the way it was done. So any other questions or comments? Verse 7, Joanna. A 3D image of Adam. I don't know what you, what, I've not heard of this before. Oh, yes. Like when he formed him of the dust of the ground, you mean? Yes. I do take it literally that, yes, he formed him from the, from the earth and he made a, you know, and then when he breathed is when the life came in. That's right. And now we do CPR, breathing into people's nostrils, the breath of life. But we give them what was already given to us. Yeah. And it's oxygen and carbon dioxide and whatever else. Um, it seemed like there was something else that you... Oh, what else does the Bible say is God breathed? The Word of God. And isn't that interesting how, you know, we have the breath of God in our own life. The true light that lighteth every man that comes into the world, John 1, 4. And then we have the breath of God in his words. And I think the breath there is the idea of the spoken words of God is breath, right? And we have the truth of the scripture. So we are blessed to have the breath of God, are we not? All right, anyone else? Question or comment? I think this is a pretty good stopping point. Verse 7 is the end of this section. We kind of start in a new section in verse 8. And I know you guys will have all sorts of questions, so we better, better just stop right here, okay? But we'll, we'll do verse 8 through 14. We may go all the way down to verse 20 next, next week 
if you're, maybe we'll go all the way to the end if, if there's not too many questions. So, because honestly, the section on the rivers, is, there's not a lot to say about the rivers. Maybe this way, Debbie, next week someone else can read all the river names, and then you can sit there and laugh at them. Um, I know there's some weird ones in there. Um, so, um, is there any other questions before we close? All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your power and your greatness. Um, I pray that we'll live in light of these things. Help us to have a good balance between working and resting and to remember your example that we are not always to work and nor are we always to rest. I pray that we'll remember that we have the breath of life and that we do not take it for granted, take it lightly. And I do pray that um, we will recognize that we are more than just a body. Help us to take care of our, our inner man and our spirits and Help us to live in a way that um, our body and our spirit are at one, one with you and one with each other, that, that we're not um, ignoring or mistreating any part of our being. And I ask for this grace to live well for you and to live in light of the perfect creator and the great creator. And we, we recognize that the glories and mysteries of our body are beyond full comprehension, and that's because you are so great. So we, we give you praise, we give you worship, and we say thank you for making us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you are dismissed. Oh, sure. <laughs>